0: You are listening to the Ball Meadow State Podcast, where we have conversations about all things basketball with a South Carolina flavor. Let's get started and tip off this episode with your host, the head basketball coach at Westwood High School, John Combs.
1: Welcome to the Ball Meadow State Podcast. Well, today we'd like to welcome my very first guest on the podcast, Coach Tim Whipple. Coach Tim Whipple is a head basketball coach at Irmo High School, and he's now heading into his 39th season as the head basketball coach at Irmo High School. And what makes it so special to me is um, Coach Whipple was my high school basketball coach when I graduated from Irmo in 1994. Now, the interesting thing is I never did play for Coach Whipple, but I was his student manager uh, for two seasons there, and he's one of the biggest reasons, if not he is the biggest reason why I'm in coaching today. So, Coach, thank you for being on the podcast today.
0: Oh, glad to be here.
1: Well, great. Well, when you hear that you're heading into your 39th season as a head basketball coach at Irmo High School, what, what do you think?
0: Wow, <laughs> I never, you know, I never thought I'd be in it this long for sure. But it, it's uh, it's all I've ever wanted to do. I mean, that's ever since I was in uh, even little league baseball and things. It's, I always knew I was going to be a coach. I always knew I was going to be a teacher. But before I say that, too, let me let me say when you were talking about being a manager. That you were absolutely the best manager <laughs> that anybody could ever have. You were a coach manager, and of course went on to to uh, a lot of bigger and better things with Carolina and Coach Fogler. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Well,
1: well thank you for saying that. Um, who who would you say some of the people are that had the biggest influence on you as a coach? Ooh,
0: that I I have always been. Uh, an observer and a learner and, uh, and, and used things to probably, I have my ideas of what I wanted to do, but I always observed to see what was good things I wanted to do and things that I knew I didn't want to do. And, and that probably started with my high school coach Lee Cody, who, who uh, was, was just a great O's and X guy And then with Red Myers at Erskine, I mean, there couldn't be someone that understood the game better, or someone to learn. And I I played for him, so it was a situation where I firsthand, as a player, understood what it was like to be coached and what I wanted to do. You know, what I liked, and then probably uh, the biggest influence I ever had was Eddie Rains in Winsboro. Just a phenomenal. Guy and and coach, and I learned so much about how to deal with players and and how to um, um, not just be an O's and X person, but go deeper than that and figure out what motivates kids and 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 how you can get the most out of them. And Eddie was just phenomenal with that. Um, uh, and I, and I think probably the biggest influence that I had.
1: Now, if I'm not mistaken, when you were at Erskine, would you consider yourself more of a baseball player than you were basketball? So how, how's it coming about that you become a basketball coach?
0: I, don't, I, I actually, when I, when I was uh, my senior year in college and I was starting to look for jobs, I was trying to find a job where I could do both, where I could be a baseball and basketball coach. I, I, uh, I loved baseball, but it to me, the coaching part of baseball was not um, did not intrigue me as much. It didn't motivate me. It didn't make me feel as if uh, I, I just felt like I, I, I was better suited in the basketball side of it. Um, I was a better baseball player. I started for four years at Erskine in baseball, whereas basketball I only started one year. Um, I also had a pretty good guard in front of me, uh, Bobby Cohen. Cunningham, Corky Cunningham, who was a phenomenal player. In, in a different day and time, he wouldn't have been playing at Erskine because of social media and because of the, all the things that were going on. He would, he'd been playing at a Division One school somewhere. So I learned a lot sitting on the bench. I learned a lot being a non-player. Uh, sometimes when you're a player, things come easily for you. And I think that's why you're a good coach. You, you, a lot of times you're sitting on the sideline watching and observing. And to me, that's, that's, that's an important thing.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. I think listening, observing, um, is so crucial to to becoming a coach and knowing all the things that you've got to do. Kind of leads me into the next question. And you know, one of the things maybe I took for granted when I was younger, the culture that was instilled here at uh, Irmo High School with the basketball program. To me, that's just that was the only culture I knew at a high school level. How would you describe the the basketball culture here at Irmo?
0: Well, we're just. Talking about preseason workouts a little bit, and and I, I, we talk about this a lot of how blessed we are. Um, the the kids have expectations and are willing to be held accountable for things. Um, we work extremely hard on mental toughness. And I think that shows when we start doing this conditioning and these workouts this time of the year, because we work on that a lot. That culture is something that is, is easy to lose if you don't have guys that are always setting that example for you. My best players that I ever had worked harder than anybody else, going back to BJ. I mean, you know, how could anybody in the program? Not work hard when the best player is out there working as hard as he can all the time. So what we've tried to do every year is set expectations for these guys and let them know that they're going to be held accountable for everything they do. Now that's not easy to do, but once you get it started, it's an expectation. There are a lot of guys that think they can play basketball or want to play basketball that never even come out because they know they can't meet the expectations that we're going to have. The culture that we have set for us. Now, you know, they have to be. You have to be talented. You can't just be mentally tough. But I, I think that our that's what our culture is right now, and that's why we've been able to be somewhat successful. Is that our kids understand they're going to be held accountable, and that there are expectations for them every single time they step on on the. A court, in the classroom, and in the community—all three—and we talk about it every single day. How important those things are.
1: Yeah, I remember a quote you handed out, and I mean, maybe excellence uh, is a is a habit.
0: Oh yeah, well, without a doubt. I mean, and and see, there's there's kids all the time that that are 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 good players, but they're not willing. to to be held accountable for anything. They aren't willing to make sacrifices. They aren't willing to to do those things and they can be successful players, but they're never going to be as good as they could be. They're they're never going to, they're never going to reach a level that their talent actually exhibits. And that's what we try to do here. Find people that are willing to work hard and become the best they can be. They may not be the best, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they're going to be the best they can be. And, and, and you can't argue with the results, at least, because we, we've had the we, – I'm extremely proud of what we've accomplished here and hopefully what we still have ahead of us.
1: Well, like we were talking about earlier, you're heading into your 39th season as a head basketball coach at Irmo. You've won five state championships, and you've played in 10. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. And I, I know you're – at last I checked, it was the third all-time leadingest win leader in South Carolina – now you're now second. Wow!
0: Yeah, um, well, we, we, we've won over 750 games now. Okay, um, it, it was it. We were at, at the end of 38, and I said, you know, I need to just retire right now. It's exactly we had won exactly 20 games a year after my 38, so that would be what seven, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what it is. Uh, but uh, now we, we dipped a little bit below it this year. But, you know, that, you don't, you're not successful for that, stretch, that many years, for that stretch of time, unless you do have a good culture. But think of the parents that are willing to make sure that their kids are doing what they're supposed to do and the support that they give, because you can't be successful without them. The assistant coaches... That I've, I mean, forever, ever, every assistant coach I've ever had has been a head coach. Um, and then having talented players. You know, the, the, those, if you don't have a combination, all three of those, you can be successful for a while. But you're not going to have the longevity. And that's where I've been fortunate, to have a lot of talented players, a lot of talented coaches to work with. And then parents that have supported us and been willing to do what we needed to do.
1: it's absolutely been incredible the, the culture and the standards of excellence you've you set and the players. You've had a number of different styles of team, style of players, but it seems like the culture has always been there and it's uh you know it's really been amazing and and inspiring to me. What what would you say is the toughest part of coaching?
0: I I would I would have to say that it is, it is dealing with the kids. The O's and X's aren't that, that, that difficult. You know, you can find a way. And that, that's one thing I've always tried to do is try to put my players in a position where they can be successful, whatever it is. So we change those O's and X's. We don't do the same thing every year. We do change. The, for a while there, we didn't have to because we just reloaded with the same type of player. But as our players have changed, and, you know, sometimes we have post players, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have guards, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have ball handlers, and sometimes, you know, seasons we don't. So so we've had to, we've had to change a, a little bit of how we have, have done things O's and X-wise. But getting into the heads of the players, I think, is the most important thing. I think that is the hardest thing. And the thing that you have to do if you're going to be successful, figuring out what turns a player on, what motivates them. So what I've always tried to do is with the, within our system, within standards, within an idea of what I'm willing to meet them with, you know, meet halfway or whatever it may be, is to, is to find out what, they t- what makes them tick. And if I can do that, then, then you're unless they're just have no talent at all then you 're able to help them reach their potential and that 's what I want to do and that 's what I take pride in as a coach and what i 've always tried to do get a young man to reach his potential and then you know whatever happens happens
1: How do you think you're different as a coach, say two thousand and nineteen and then when you first started in the 1980s.
0: Yeah, yeah I'm I, I'm I'm a lot different, and I I've been fortunate enough to, and especially recently to to go out to lunch with some of my guys I coached in the 80s, and uh, it was really funny because I I almost feel guilty at times because of the way I treated them. I have this image of being so mean to them and so demanding of them, and I was, but it was it's it's incredible how much they really appreciated it they they didn't resent it I feel guilty but they're glad I was I was that way with them and they see the difference when they come to games the way I react now than than the way I was I was much more volatile I was you know much more confrontational I was even when you were here I was that way um uh, I I um much more demanding the the energy level was so high. See, I could do all those things. As I started getting older, <laughs> and, and my athletes did change too, um, I started becoming a little bit, I had less energy, so I was a little less demanding. Uh, and the same things that I thought were so important 30 years ago, we don't do now when we're just as successful. You know? so, so you do change, and I think that's part of coaching, is, is being willing to change with your players. And if you're able to do that, then you have an opportunity. Demographics, for instance. Irmo in 1980 is totally different than Irmo in 2019. Yet we still find good kids who do things the right way that are willing to be held accountable. And that's why we're we're still able to have some level of success.
1: Yeah, you're being very modest when you say some level uh, of success. Um, you know, besides some of the state championship games and playoff games, what are some of the games and maybe moments that have really stuck out to you that you know just you, you remember that for, for good reasons?
0: Now that's a hard one. That's that's really a difficult question. I I, I tend to remember the negatives a lot more than I do the positives. <laughs> I. I uh, I, I had uh, a coach, and I can't remember who it was right now. I, it might have been Greg Marshall uh, that came in and, and was sitting there and we were talking, and I was complaining about something. And he said, you know what, Coach, and, and I'm, just, I'm guilty of this too, is I, I tend to look at the negatives in my players when others look at the positives of my players. And it's totally true see that's that it's, it's it's' like I've always been more of a negative motivator than a positive, not that I'm not willing to say great job and and be supportive of people I am, but it's like I'm always trying to get my players to play harder to be more successful to realize that the goals have to be set high if you're going to be successful and not just playing but in life you know and and it's And and they, you know, for for the most part, they do try to do that. They try to live up to the standards that I help them set. Uh, But I can't, I can't really think. I mean, there are so many times during a season or or uh, the positive things to happen. You know, it's not just a state championship game. I, I said it many times before the last time we played in the state championship against, against Dorman, and we were totally outclassed in the game. Uh, it, but to get there was an incredible thing. And I think that probably the most gratifying moment that, that, that I had is when we stepped onto that court to play in that state championship game Because it was about the journey to get there. What happened during the game was irrelevant to me. And it was the first time, it was kind of an aha moment. It was kind of one of those things because I've never been that way. But it really made no difference to me if we won that game or didn't. Mm -hmm. Because the journey to get there was so incredible that I wasn't going to let the moment of that state championship game change anything to do with it. And it was just a, It was really a, a special moment for me as a coach, and it's something I can still touch because it's close. All those other times is kind of hard to remember. But if if that answered your no, question, yeah, well,
1: I remember one game when when I was here as a, a student manager when we played uh, Hillcrest of Dazzle, and the first time we played them, and this was of course before 1993, before social media was really around, and. You know, they had this guy named Ray Allen that everybody said was pretty good player. And I think we were I think we were ranked number one at the time and they came in here and and beat us. Um and then we turned around later on in the year had to go to their little gym and that that was a game that we won. And that atmosphere in that little gym was something I'll never forget. Do you remember that game? Oh, I,
0: I do. And and, and I I just got through recently making copies. You know, I have VHS tapes. They're all over the place. And I'm trying to put them all on DVDs, you know, so I can carry a satchel and get them out instead of having to have a truck to get everything out of here. But I made copies for several of the players that were played in the 80s. They wanted them, so so I was going through them. Well, I, I was, as I was making DVDs, I was looking at those 90 years. And, of course, we played in a state championship game six out of seven years. I mean, you talk about incredible. That was unbelievable. Now, I had some unbelievable players. But, but they get there. You know how hard it is to get to a state championship game. And, and we were able to do that. That focus was incredible. But I remember watching that game. We sat here, and I've showed my players. And we've watched it. And the gym, I mean, it's standing room only you would inbound a ball and they'd literally like you, it would be like a cartoon. Your feet would move because somebody in the, you know, that was standing there would hold your shorts while you were trying to get out. I remember uh, uh, it might've been Ray Allen, but they had so many good players anyway, dunked on us. And BJ got knocked (laughs) down onto onto the floor and people ran out onto the floor. And, you know, he was laying there and they were pointing at him and then laid on the floor because he couldn't see him. You know, and pointing at them. And, I, and, you know, you, to me, that's what basketball is all about. I mean, it was just an incredible atmosphere, incredible players. What a game. I mean, that's, that's one to remember for sure. Oh, it
1: was incredible. I think we were the only South Carolina team to beat them that year, yeah. especially at their place. I mean, that was –
0: Oh, that didn't happen.
1: Yeah, it was it was certainly an incredible. So yeah. that comes back when we talk about Columbia basketball, what do you think of when you say think of Columbia basketball and the history of it?
0: Oh, well it it is the Midlands area over the years have had just unbelievable players and unbelievable teams. I mean some of the some of the teams are the best in the country. The Lower Richlands and the Eau Claire's just, you know, off the top of my head and, and uh, those teams in the 80s and early 90s had players that were Division I players. They had pr- professional players. Um, and and we have been so fortunate to, to at that time, especially in the 80s and 90s, to be able to have like our AAU teams and our programs that we had. Everybody played in the Midlands together. We didn't have guys – you know, tr- you know, coming in from Georgia or traveling all over the place or doing those, it was just Midlands players. And, of course, George Glimp was, was kind of the, the guy who spearheaded that whole thing and was just what an incredible man and uh, uh, coach that I was able to learn. You know, I didn't talk about people I learned things from. I didn't mention George. Uh, uh, just w- what he did for me when I was a young coach, was incredible. I mean, he, he he he, helped me to be the coach I am today. And and uh, I owe him a, a, a just an incredible amount of gratitude for what he did for for me personally, but for our program as well.
1: It's incredible to me the, the generosity he gives of his time and knowledge with just about yeah. everybody he comes in contact with. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, I, I did not – it wasn't like we were – uh, best friends who hang, hung out all the time. But there, was, there were times when we would get together and literally talk for two or three hours. You know, we'd be standing like after a scrimmage, and we'd just be standing outside. And, and, I'd, and uh, somebody would drive or something, and the, rest, and the assistant coaches would go back with the players, and George and I would stand out there and talk for hours. Um, just, so, you know, people, I don't think you get that as much now. As you did back then, we we were all a group. We had we had uh, Saturday morning breakfast, you know, that we went to at Lizard's Ticket. It. Yeah, it's exactly right. And 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 we we were there. There wasn't jealousies. There, there we all worked together, and you know, we all wanted to win. We all wanted to be successful, but uh, it, it, there was a great deal of camaraderie. And and I don't know if you get that as much today. It, it, everybody wants to be a little bit more. Um, secret, you know, with what they do or are or, or selfish, but not, you know, not in a negative way, but still selfish to, with their time. And George never was and uh, just love him dearly.
1: Yeah. He's, he's phenomenal uh, for sure. Um, let's go to a couple of questions. What do you think um, high school should have a shot clock?
0: We were just talking about that a, a little while ago. It, it certainly wouldn't affect us any. We we have the philosophy shoot before you turn it over. That's kind of way, that's kind of the way we are right now. I I know there 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 are several people interested. In it. I know you're interested in it um, in getting one. I am not convinced it will make any difference yet. But I'm I'm I, I hate change. I've always hated change. That's the way I am. <laughs> I mean I, I I wear the same uniforms. I do you know everything's everything's the same. I, I'm. Once I change, I'm fine. Somebody has to prove to me that it actually is going to make a difference in the game, and I and I don't I don't know um, that there's any way to prove that until you actually do it. And then I have questions about um, who's going to run the clock. I've been at places where you can't you don't have a competent person running the regular clock, let alone the shot clock, you know, are you going to get an official to do it, which is going to cost more money? There's just a lot of questions. The actual, how, how often do, does a shot clock play into the game? Now, it does some. I realize that, especially at the end of games, it does. But um, I think it will come. It's, it's going to happen. It's just I don't know how soon it's going to happen. I don't care <laughs> if it happens, then we'll play with a shot clock until then. I, I am not going to advocate for it. I'm not going to push for it. I'm, I'm not going to do that because I don't like change.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm a proponent of it, but I will say, I think it will take time if it's implemented for you to see a, a drastic change. We played in a, a summer camp um, this past summer with a shot clock. And frankly, before we even went to, I forgot it that it was on. Sure. And over the game, and I didn't talk about it with the players at all. I think we had it really affected maybe three or four plays. But I think it would, I, I do think it would help the game. And to your point, what you said, it's going to happen. It's a matter of the South Carolina adopt it closer to the early time, or is it later? So I'll be interested to see um, how that goes.
0: Well, and in, in two, it, are, are you going to do it in JVs and B team level? You know, are, are, are the girls going to be the same as the boys? You know, there's, there's just a lot of questions about it. And, and I, 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 I just – I think sometimes people get on little bandwagons or they think it will help, and then they convince themselves that it will because they think it. Um, again, I'm kind of one of those people – Prove to me that it will change the game in a positive way. Now, I know they do it in college. College is a little different, you know, uh, the the type of player that you have. In high school, everybody's not equal. And it's not even like even 1A, 2A, 3A, and 4A, it's not equal. You know, or am 5A now. But it, it, within classifications. So are are you going to say... We're going to dictate a clock in high school, and it's going to eliminate any chance of you with lesser talent winning a game, which it somewhat does in the college level, but everybody's so good now or, you know, it's, it's not as, you know, much of a problem. So I, it just concerns me that it may take away the opportunity for lesser teams to have a chance to win a game or compete in games because of that. If I take 30 seconds to shoot and you take 10 seconds to shoot, that's not even good. I take 40 seconds because the shot clock's not going to be, you know, thirty. what it would it be, 35? Mm-hmm. Uh, something Probably like something that. Something like that. But anyway, it, it changes that to me. And I, I just I, – I know it's going to happen. But it just – I hate the fact that it, it, it's going to eliminate the opportunity for some teams to be able to, to compete in games – because of that, because there's going to be such a disparity of
1: talent. Now, let me ask this. Were you in favor of a three-point shot?
0: Okay, now, see, again, I didn't care. Did I advocate for it? No. Did I, did I push, you know, do that? No. As soon as it came, it doesn't bother me that it's there, but we didn't, we didn't probably shoot threes. Uh, now we shoot more because I think it's, it's something that, the game has evolved where the players aren't disciplined enough to understand. They're going to do the easy thing, mm-hmm. and the easy thing is to shoot a three because most of the time you aren't as covered as closely and it's a better opportunity. They don't care if they make a good percentage of shots. As soon as they make one, <laughs> I'm shooting five more, you know. Um, so so I, 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 it doesn't bother me. I did, uh, again, it would be the same way if we have. If I'm still around when they have a shot clock, we'll play. We'll play. We'll do it. It won't. It won't affect us at all. Okay. If that if that makes sense. No, ab- absolutely.
1: <laughs> if we were to make you the czar of the South Carolina high school league tomorrow, what would be a change you would want to make?
0: Uh, I th- I think in, in it, because I've been in it as long as I have. Uh, and, And things have changed a little bit. I've seen that over time. But we are a football state. And I think still the high school league is dictated by the wishes of football in the state. And... The majority of the athletic directors in the state are still football coaches. Although that, that there's more and more, there's more and more women now. There's more and more other sports. There's more and more where the uh, it's a non-coach that's doing it. But but I think if I had if I had one thing that I would change, I I would have I, I would want to actually take into consideration what is best for all the athletes in this state, not just basketball, obviously, but all sports. And, and try to have their needs met more than to satisfy the needs of what I think are the ones in power, which is the majority of the football people. Not anything negative against football. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's, it's the way it is. I mean, uh, and, uh, It's
1: the way it's been for... Well,
0: it has been, and I've, you know, time. 39 years. I mean, that's it's still the same way, and, and, and uh, I, I don't resent it, I just wish that 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 the high school league would be more considerate to all athletes. Even though they say that a lot of times, I don't think they are.
1: Okay, what are you, what are your thoughts on the NCAA who just recently changed the recruiting rules that allowed Division One coaches to come out and watch players play with their high school teams during June? What what did you think of that change?
0: No, I, thought, I thought I think it's great. I think it's a it's a it's a fantastic idea. And 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 I I'm not a college coach, so I I don't know. How they felt, but I did ask several of them about it, and they loved it. So that helped solidify it for me that if they love it and they like it, then then uh, then it's definitely worth doing it. I th- I think uh, it it is a major positive because you get to see players actually doing what they do in a high school situation, and I think a high school situation as far as a team is concerned and coaching and O's and X's is closer to what the college game is. And, and it allows these guys to see them perform in that structure. Now, not that now AAU teams are probably closer to what talent wise college coaches, uh, teams are. uh, but, But I think that's an unrealistic atmosphere for them. So I think that Playing with their high school teams and having college coaches be able to actually see them play in that type of setting is is a major win.
1: And that was something Coach Frank Martin's touched on that um, you know he the high school setting is more like college. You know those are the guys in high school you hang out with, you go to lunch with, you roam the halls with, you're in classes together, and AU tends to be a collection of athletes at sure. different points in time. So you
0: you, you learn roles. You know, in a high school situation, you have roles. A lot of times, those aren't even – in an AAU situation, it's not even close to the same thing. And, and so, I, I just think it's a positive, and I hope it continues, and I hope that it, uh, it, we can work it out where we can even expand it some.
1: That'll be good. What advice would you give to a first-year head coach that's just starting off to be a – this, this is going to be their first year as a head varsity basketball coach.
0: Are you sure this is what you want to do? That's <laughs> That That would be the first. I, I I've had a lot of guys that, like when they're um, – uh, if we have an opening and they're B-team, JV level or whatever, that, that's one of the things I talk to them about. I, I say, you know, what, one of the things I want is I want assistant coaches that want to be head coaches. And if you want to be a head coach, you have to understand the sacrifices that, that – are, are you're going to have to make and your family are going to have to make if you have a family at this time and um and understand you know the financial part of it and how how much of your time you're going to have to give to these kids if you're going to be successful now you can coach and you can cheat people and you cannot do everything that you're you know that, that you can you can uh, uh, go to a situation where there's a bunch of talented players and get by and do that. But f- for the coaching profession, as a young coach, do you want to be a head coach and are you willing to do the things that are necessary to, to give your players the best opportunity that they have, again, to be successful and not just in basketball, but in life. And that—and that's what coaches are. Yeah, if you think about it, the coach-player relationship is the closest of anything in a school setting. Very few teachers get that relationship. Uh, administrators, you know, could in a way because they have a chance to see them a little bit more. But... The coach-player relationship is a very special relationship, and even, if, they're not, even, if, even if, if it's not with an athlete, just a regular student, the relationship that you have with them can be closer. And, and that's an awesome responsibility. So, so I, and, and I do every single coach that I've ever had, I talk to them about that and, I, and try to help them to understand how important that is. And, and it's not an easy thing. If you're in it because you're just, you know, think it's a cool thing, then you're in it for the wrong reasons.
1: Now, I know times have changed. What are your thoughts on social media, and how do you believe it's impacted high school athletics? Yeah.
0: Well, first of all, I'm, I, you know, I know just enough about social media to get myself in trouble. But it's, um, I, think, I think there are tons of positive things that come from it, because it is a platform to be able to, to say a lot of positive things and to communicate with people and, and, and uh, th- to give, again, like a coach, the opportunity to reach a lot more people than he normally would um, in a positive way. But as many positive things there are, if it's handled correctly, I think there's a lot of negatives that go along with it because it's not handled correctly. Uh, players are more interested in it's 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 so much easier to do negative things, say negative things, be hurtful, um because you're not looking at somebody. You're you you know, there is no relationship, there is nothing personal. And and I think it can be dangerous if you use the wrong way and and there is no way of regulating it. I mean, I guess there are some if you do certain things, you know, they can uh, keep you from tweeting or whatever it is that they're doing, but I, I I like it, but it scares me sometimes when I see some of the things that I see that anybody is going to be able to read and, and especially if you're athletes, because there, there's no filters for them and they say things and do things that they're going to regret at some point in time.
1: Well, I'm sure you've heard many times or, or seen many times where coaches have stopped recruiting a player because of something they've posted or put out there on sure. social media. And I think one of the challenges with social media now is these kids are growing up, um, their parents didn't grow up with social media. So they don't, uh, they don't have a past ex, uh, history to be able to help share with them how they handled it and navigated it. When they were younger, do you dress this with younger. your players? Do you speak oh, we, about it often?
0: We do. We talk. That is, I think, if there's one difference in me over over the years, you know, in the '80s and '90s, it was. Well, I didn't have a lot of uh, um, sit down, just just talk meetings. You know, it was more business with me. But we talk about it all the time. Now, I'm fortunate enough to have a basketball class, which I think most people in the state do now. Um, we were one of the first to get one. And, and uh, matter of fact, when we first got it, um, it I, I did it during my planning period. We had them all assigned to a study hall, and they came in here, uh, you know, and we, we were able to get the gym and use it during that time. And now, of course, we have the classes. But we we sit down and talk all the time about Whatever issues are when when the the, the kneeling, uh, you know the issue, uh, that, things that are that are important to them. I want to understand what's going on, and I want to know what they're where they're coming from. I I want to know what they're thinking, and so we sit down and we have a lot of honest, good conversations about it. And we do it as a group, we do it individual, whatever you know it may be. But uh, yes, we do talk about it. And I wouldn't say every day, but as needed, we have very comfortable conversations about things on social media and social media as an outlet for them.
1: Yeah, One thing I remember, um, now there's a lot of things I remember from my time here, one of the things that really stuck out to me at, uh, back in the 90s was how detailed your practice plans were. How, how do you go about planning up? A- a practice. How, how much time and thought did you put into that?
0: It's, it probably – there is nobody in this world that <laughs> takes as long as I do to prepare a practice. I, I, I uh, am so, so OCD, and I, I want to have every minute planned of every practice because I, I just despise seeing players standing around or wasting time. If I have an hour and a half or I have two hours or whatever it is, I want every minute used in a positive way. And so to do that, I just can't personally just go out and through my mind make that all fit together. So I plan, I still do, and sometimes it takes me a couple hours for a regular practice to get it planned.
1: One thing I really remembered that you imparted upon me when I was doing the clock for the practices, as soon as one segment was over, you go ahead and start the next segment, unless I tell you to hold it, and, right. which didn't happen very often. You wanted to stay on time.
0: That, and, and sometimes it's hard. And that's one thing with young coaches that we talked about, like my, my uh, JV, B-team coach, we talked about, you know, it's different on the varsity level, obviously, because our skill level is a little bit better. But uh, if you spend, if you have designated 10 minutes to do something and you spend 45 minutes doing it, then, then you are, are going to end up, all right, let, let, let me start. There is, I am huge with this. There is a readiness factor. And not everybody is going to learn something because you do it three times longer than what you had planned to do it and do it over and over and over and over. I, I am a strong believer in that it, through, through repetition and in, in short increments, they have a chance to have carryover. And in that carryover, they're going to be able to have a better chance of learning something. So most of the time, if, and I, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but I, it's, if, you have an, if you've planned a practice and you plan on 10 minutes for doing something, you may want to go a minute over or something sometimes because you don't like the way something is, but they're not going to master it because you do it twice as long they'll stand a better chance of the next day being able to have a little bit of carryover for them where they'll learn and and, and they build on that. Um, So anyway, I, I have a practice plan. We go by it. We move. We go from one thing to the next thing immediately. And, and, and I like to tell them, it's, it, like most colleges that I go to, that's the way they practice. And we certainly don't have the players. We don't have the intensity. We don't have the speed. But we do have the same type of practice they have. And I think that helps them when they get to that level, the ones that are able to go on.
1: There's no doubt. Um, have have the length of your practices changed over the years? Yeah, I
0: I, I still we usually go around two hours, but those those uh, sometimes we have pre-practice drills we do, and and I remember early on we used to do, those before practice started. Now they're included in our practice time, so you know that's that's ten to fifteen minutes sometimes where it's uh, doing. But but this is what we, we do, and I think this is part of the culture of our basketball program and I demand it from them, as soon as they walk into the gym, it's time for them to think about what they need to be doing. And they have something to do as soon as they step in the gym, you know, because it's pre-practice drills, and they know that. So there is no, we come into the gym and we socialize or we do whatever, you know, they have something to do, and I want that mindset. I want them to, as soon as they step in the gym, get into that mindset. I had a player, which you know, and he played in the 80s. His name is Chris Dorsey. Many people would know Chris Dorsey. I loved Chris Dorsey, not because he was the greatest player, although he was good and he was confident, but I loved him because of his mindset. Chris would literally, as soon as he started walking towards the gym door, would start breaking out in a sweat. Because he was getting ready for practice, and when he stepped in that floor, he was just he was ready to go. That mindset, which you don't see very often, I think, was incredible, and that helped him to be the athlete he was.
1: I mean, it, it, the one thing that I took um, maybe took for granted when I was a student manager here, and then he at uh, with South Carolina was you know, I was around B.J. Mackey for about six six seven years, of a long time. And then when I started uh, coaching in high school, I expected everybody to be like a B.J. Mackey or had the same type of work ethic. And I, I didn't realize how uncommon something like that he yep. had was.
0: Yep. It, it, and I can't take credit for that. I mean, that came from his family. That came from his background. But his work ethic was, was incredible. And, again, as I, I said earlier, I, I mean, when, when you have your best player, setting an example and not taking shortcuts and doing what he's supposed to do. No one else has an excuse to do it. And, and that is, that is one of the, you, you find out a lot of times star players want to cut corners. They want to do things the easy way they want. You know, they, they, they want to turn it off and on when they want to turn it off and on. BJ never did that. Uh, you know, he played, he, he always played with intensity and, and his work ethic was incredible. And because I've coached players like that, I demanded out all my players I mean because it, why should they be any different? Oh. That, it doesn't matter how talented you are. it doesn't matter if you can jump up and dunk a ball, it doesn't matter if you can shoot a three-pointer. that has nothing to do with work ethic. And so it, you know if you demand that and, and whether you're, whether you're a starter or whether you're the 15th player on a team, you demand it from them, then you know they, they, then, then they have no excuses not to do it.
1: Then we go into when you're deciding putting together your team for the year. How do you decide how many players you keep on the team, who you keep on the team? How, how do you do that?
0: that? That varies according to the year. Sometimes we, we, don't, we don't have um, um, a, a quality of player that we think is able to make a team, so we may have 12 or 13 guys. I always tried to have 15. And what, what, I've, what I've really done over the years is if there's a guy that's, that's maybe a senior that's been cut – uh, every year, but it comes back every year, and it, it tries and plays hard. And we have room for them. We'll do it. I, I, I mean, I, I've never had any more than fifteen players, but but there's times I've only had thirteen. But we'll keep a fourteenth or a fifteenth because of that, because of that situation. If you really think about it, you're, you you can have fifteen players on a team. How many how many guys are going to play? You know, I mean, I, I guess you can have. I've never had more than nine or ten players that are, are capable of being able to play in a varsity basketball game. Um, so unless those guys are young, um, they're not gonna they're not gonna play. So you have to have a mentality that you understand that you want to be just a part of a team. I know when you played, you weren't a a bad basketball player. But we had so many great players; there was no room.
1: Oh, there was. We were ultra talented. Yeah.
0: So oh. I, I mean, and that has something to do with. Sometimes we have a lot of lot of talent, and and so there's no room for that type of guy. But I love rewarding a guy. I love rewarding somebody who really wants to do do it and loves being a part of a team and reward them for that.
1: You know, a guy that comes to my mind was during my time Tamiya Williams. Wow. Well, I mean. We, we probably don't win a state championship without, without not, no not no probably about it no,
0: no there is no doubt and the thing about it was you know all the way up into his senior year he was he was he wasn't playing and he really didn't even start to play until after Christmas you know when we made a few changes and he just slowly but surely got a little bit better we we he actually was a point guard that we moved to post. And then in the state championship, he scores, what, 21 points? or Yeah, and 10 know, of 11 from the yeah, floor. Yeah, and, the, crazy. Well, and the one he missed, he stuck back. You know, one of those deals, and it made a free throw. And, I mean, he, he, is, he is the type of individual that actually, in our minds, we never thought was going to be able to play uh, or to help us in a game. And I I remember telling him that I I but I said you know it's up to you do you want to be a part of it or not and he did I mean and, and he ended up just well we won a state championship because of him there's no doubt about it so
1: yeah I mean it's it's absolutely and, and you know it's incredible that you know do you spend time with players talking about their roles or do you does that change often
0: we, we I I don't know that we actually sit down and talk about it but during during practices or during, during any of the scrimmages or whatever's going on that I'll let them know, okay, this is good or this is bad and and hope that they digest that and they understand that. And generally when you say things like that, I'll say like, uh, okay, you can continue to do that if you want. And then you can sit over next to me and watch everybody else doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, it's up to you. And, you know, I don't sit people down and say, okay, this is your role. Sometimes I might, but it, 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 is, uh, it is one of those things that we learn roles through competing out on the floor because right then that's the moment to get them because they're either being successful or not successful at doing something and it, and it hits them. If I'm sitting here talking to you right now and I tell you you can't shoot three-pointers, And you're saying, well, you're crazy. You know, I can shoot threes, and I'm going to shoot threes. But then you get out on the floor, and you miss every three you take. It's very easy for me to say, you know, stop doing that. If you continue to do that, if you think that's what your role is, then you're going to have trouble. And then I've had other guys, like I'll say, and I tell the group this. I make sure they all understand this. I have certain players over the years that I say, you can shoot anytime you want to shoot. Now, you may miss. You may go through and miss six straight shots, or seven to, but because you've earned that right, because you've showed me that you can shoot, I'm going to let you shoot. And none of you other can say anything about it. I mean, they've he's earned that right to do that. Now, you may not like it, but at the same time, he's proven himself. You want to shoot threes? Make them and let me trust you. And then you'll have that opportunity to do it as well.
1: I mean, I've had guys that would shoot thirty-eight, forty percent from three. That would occasionally take a bad shot. I would live with that. If you can make it at forty percent clip, you take a bad shot here or there. I I live with that. Yep. You know, if you're shooting nineteen percent from three and you shoot a bad shot, that's that's completely different.
0: Which kids don't understand. Yeah. Especially if you're sitting there off the court talking to them about it, they don't get that. They don't they don't believe that. But when you're out there, that's the time to get them. And I think that's when we generally do roles when we when we try to reinforce roles yeah.
1: you know heading into your 39th season what do you, what do you want your legacy to be as a coach have you thought about that or does that something you spend time on at all
0: i i just uh, uh, before we got started i i was saying talking to somebody in there and and uh, <laughs> they said you know nobody wants your job no no nobody wants to come in after you you know and and I and I think about that I I mean I don't I don't say that but I think about it when somebody says that and and you have your name on the court and you you have all these things I, I it is it is such a blessing to be able to look back on a career and and Know that not only have you been successful, but you've been able to touch the lives of so many people in a positive way. Now, not you know, there's some I'm sure that haven't felt that way, but but I think to me, if, if there is a legacy, it, it, the the thing that I and I said this earlier is that I felt like my entire coaching career, my entire life, that I owed it to my players to do whatever was necessary to help them to be the most successful people they could be on and off the court. And if I didn't do that, I was cheating them. And I think if there is a legacy, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want my players to always know that I did everything I could for them to be the best they could be. I never cheated them. And that doesn't mean they always like me. And I push them, and I yell at them, and I'll get in their face sometimes, and I'll be demanding, and, you know, it's not always fun. But, but I, I think that's what it's all about when, you, when, when it's all said and done. The rest is fun. Winning is fun. The hard work to win isn't always fun, and they need to understand that.
1: Yeah, well, well, Coach, we certainly appreciate your time, you know, talking about this. I think this has been this has been really good. I've been really enjoyed hearing what you had to say, and you know, we're excited to see what comes up this next season uh, for you. And so, uh, once again, just thank you for your time today. Well,
0: John, thank you, and and um, uh, you know how much I love you, and how uh, how much you mean to me over the years. And I know we've done a lot of had a lot of competition against each other. And uh, it's, it's uh, there, there, are, there are coaches out there, and I think the ultimate, co- uh, ultimate compliment I can give any coach and I want to give to you is you helped me to be a better coach by doing the job you do. And uh, it means a lot to me, and, and those, those relationships are, are uh, something that, that I will appreciate the rest of the days I have.
1: Well, Coach, the, the same is certainly felt on, on this end. I mean, I'm coaching because of you, um, and even, even though you, you cut me a couple of times. <laughs> but that just goes to show you, you you were so good at making me, just a student manager, feel important and a part of the program and understanding the the culture of excellence. And so um, I just thank you for all that you've done for me. And I know there's a lot of other coaches that you spend your time with and people will come visit and talk to. And I know that's uh, you know very well appreciated by a lot of people.
0: Uh, it's, it's, uh, I enjoy it. It means a lot. So good luck with all this.
1: Yep. Well, Open thank you very much, Coach. Right. We certainly appreciate it. All right. Thank all you.
0: Right. You've been listening to the Balmettos State Podcast. For our show notes and other valuable information, please visit our website at balmettostate.com. We would love to connect with you on social media and hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by going to at Balmetto State. Thank you for investing your time with us.